One of the crazy buzzwords today in the Christian church and outside the Christian church is this whole word known as karma. Is karma just a slang term for reaping and sowing? With the new age terms flying around in our culture with the new spirituality and the church, is karma compatible with the Christian worldview? Let's get real about the subject of karma. And is it compatible with biblical Christianity? And you are listening to the Let's Get Real podcast with Rob Lundberg. Thank you for tuning in this week. And I want to just talk to you about this whole idea of karma. You know, you hear people talking about it all the time. Like, you know, you watch military movies, modern day military movies today. And you hear like, we're going to rain down bad karma on the enemy. Or somebody will say, oh, my karma is good for me today. And I don't think they really realize what that word really means. That word actually is not Western, but it's Eastern. And I'm going to uh, let you know a little bit more about that as we proceed through our program today. You know, when we talk about someone who believes in karma and also identifies himself as a Christian, and they tell you about a person who was living an immoral lifestyle and said that karma would eventually catch up with the person or I didn't believe uh, in karma but some might also say that the Bible teaches that what you reap is what you sow well the law of karma is a little bit more than that particularly when it comes to the worldviews that are involved in conflict with one another today See, I'm going to share with you that I do not believe, and I do not believe the Bible teaches what the law of karma actually teaches in Hinduism and Buddhism. In fact, if you really look at karma and where it comes from, it does not come from biblical Christianity at all. So let me start off by first defining what we mean by the law of karma, or just karma in general. According to a lot of sources out there, and one common source in particular, that the law of karma or karma itself is in a non-theistic religious, in non-theistic religions such as Buddhism, Jainism, as well as Minamasa school of Hinduism, karma theory is used to explain the cause of evil as well as to offer distinct ways to avoid will be unaffected by evil in the world. Let me explain what I mean. In the Eastern pantheistic religions concepts, those who have died are now living. So take, for example, those who are living in the poor parts of Calcutta or, or Mumbai or, or wherever in, in the world where, where Eastern pantheistic religions are. Someone will tell you that the reason why they are living a poor life because they are living a poverty life is because of their past life and their karma is being balanced out. Now, that's totally different 
from what you hear a lot of people talk about today. First and foremost, it isn't about sowing and reaping in that case. It's about transmigration of the soul and whether or not the soul transmigrates to another life and they balance off the samsaric part of the karma where they go and they reap what they have sowed in the previous life. So there's a problem there. You cannot take existential realities or metaphysical realities of life and non-life and then transmigrated to another life and put it in the category of reaping and sowing because it doesn't line up with biblical Christianity. Now, karma, which literally means action, work, or deed, is the law of cause and effect. If you do evil, then you'll reap evil or suffering. If you do good, then you'll reap inner joy and peace. Those who teach karma believe that they, every action or thought has a corresponding reward. In fact, human suffering, therefore, is not explained as being caused by God's anger, but as a result of ignorance of the divine law in a pantheistic religion. Now, what is the centrality of this whole thing? Well, it's reincarnation. You have to have two non-negotiables. If you believe in karma, or if you think that you believe in karma, and you're a Bible-believing Christian, this is where the conflict lies, because as Christians, we believe in resurrection. We do not believe in reincarnation. And, you know, I know Jesus said in John 3, 3, you know, the, you must be born again. It doesn't say born again and again and again and again and so on and so forth. The Bible doesn't teach that. What the Bible does teach, it is appointed for man to die once and then face the judgment. But reincarnation is also taught by true believers in karma. Reincarnation is the rebirth of the transmigration of, of the soul in a new body. Depending on the religion or particularly the philosophy, the soul can make an appearance as another person, an animal, or plant as it makes its way to an eventual escape from the cycle of birth, death, and rebirth. Since every action must be rewarded, and most do not get full comp fully compensated in this life, it makes it a necessity for a person to return again and again to satisfy the karma that is coming to them. And of course, they create more good and bad karma each time so the cycle goes on infinitely or indefinitely. Now, when you deal with this type of concept, if you are a professing Christian and you believe in karma, the next thing that's a problem, not just with reincarnation, but also your view of God. See, in Hinduism, Buddhism, Jainism, and all the other religions that believe in karma, they believe in an impersonal God or no God at all. In Buddhism, in various schools of thought, there is no God. It's just basically nirvana and going and exploding into the void. In moksha, in, in Hinduism, it is moksha, going and being in union with Brahman. 
So Brahman and Yahweh are not the same gods by any sense. In fact, there is no personal God. There is no belief in a personal God in this kind of religious system. It is more like a consciousness that pervades everything and everyone. And you, as a Bible-believing Christian, cannot really define the term or anybody in believing in karma. It doesn't matter whether it's a Christian or a Hindu, a Jainist, a Buddhist, or whatever. You cannot explain or define the term in the sense that different religious traditions have various beliefs in who or what God is or whether or not he exists at all. See, so there's a, there's a huge problem. For instance, if you take into consideration Hinduism, Hinduism teaches that there is one true God, a supreme spirit called Brahman. Brahman has many forms and pervades the entire universe. In other words, all is Brahman. This is where pantheism comes in. All is God. Brahman. All is God. All is pantheism. You know, all is theism. Most would say that Brahman is present in every person as an eternal spirit called Atman. While saying this, we need to note that a Buddhist would say that they don't believe in any God, as I just mentioned. One Buddhist would put it this way. We don't believe in a God because we believe in humanity. We believe that each human being is precious and important and that all have the potential to develop into a Buddha as a perfect, a perfected human being. We believe that humans can outgrow ignorance and irrationality and see things as they really are. We believe that hatred, anger, spite, and jealousy can be replaced by love, patience, generosity, and kindness. Sounds like Galatians 5, uh, 22 and 23, right? We believe that all this is within the grasp of each person if they make the effort guided and supported by fellow Buddhists and inspired by the example of the Buddha. As the Buddha says, no one saves us but ourselves, no one can and no one may. We ourselves must walk the path, which is the Eightfold Path and the Four Noble Truths of Buddhism, but Buddhas clearly show the way. So when you're talking about Buddhists and the Buddha, the follower of this religion could be referring to the historical figure called the Buddha, the Awakened One, or they could be referring to anyone who has attained full enlightenment. They supposedly have awakened from the sleep of ignorance and are able to see things as they truly are. In the Buddhist teaching, these men are free from faults, they're free from desires, they're free from uh, mental obstructions. So in order to escape the cycle of karma, a person would do well to follow these enlightened persons. Now, here's the kicker. I was in the car sales business for a little while and there was I had a Vietnamese customer and I had a book by Ravi Zacharias called Can Men Live Without God? And he noticed it. Oh, that was on my credenza, kind of as a decoration and also a fishing lure. And I looked at him and he was he was there to buy a car so he says are you a christian i said yes i am and he 
he he just smiled and I said what are you and he says I'm a Buddhist I said so can I ask you a question sir in my understanding and correct me if I'm wrong because I don't want to misrepresent your religion but Buddhism seeks to eradicate desire is that correct he said yes and said but you're here because you desire a car is that correct I said so how does that line up with your religion he just looked at me and smiled he says I just can't figure that out you see when you talk about transmigration of the soul and karma, at one point in time, that person's life was before the current life that they're living. So the life that they're living right now is trying to fulfill the karma of the past life. Can you? What you can do is you can ask the person if every birth has a rebirth, and that what was the penalty or what was the reason why reincarnation had to happen and you fulfill try and seek to fulfill karma what was it in your past life that you did in order for you to be reincarnated to live out that that karma they won't be able to answer that see that's the death knell of this whole concept of karma it just doesn't meet realistic reality it doesn't meet reality period so if you still have a hard time with what i'm talking about here with regards to the sowing and the reaping i understand that scripture says what you reap is what you will sow i get that but that is not karma when you talk about certain concepts in in the scriptures about sowing and reaping Folks, that is not karma either. And so this whole idea of sowing and reaping and the law of karma just does not match up with the biblical worldview. So let's talk about Christian reaping and sowing, okay? So when we talk about Buddhism and Hinduism and 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 the the, the deities of those Eastern pantheistic religions. They're impersonal or they don't exist. But we believe as Christians that God does exist. And so when we talk about God, we talk about God as that God is, a, is personal, but he's also judge. You know, when you compare the biblical idea of reaping and sowing with karma, it becomes immediately clear that they are not in the least bit compatible. The Christian worldview begins with a holy God who is creator and sustainer of the universe. It is ultimately to him and that all men and women must give an account for the things done in this life. And see the whole thing about karma and reincarnation, which are two non-negotiables in Hinduism and Buddhism, they are trying to escape the justice and judgment of God. But when we talk about this as Christians, Scripture explicitly states in many places that there are no other gods except one. As an example, there is Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, which God tells Israel, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one Lord. Another passage in the Old Testament which teaches that truth is, is, that truth is Deuteronomy 4, verse 35 and 39, which state, 
unto thee it was shown that thou mightest know that the Lord, he is God, that there is none beside him. Know therefore this day and consider it in thine heart that the Lord is, he is God in heaven above and upon the earth. There is none else. And of course, we see in the New Testament, which follows suit, that there's only one God and he is personal. He's a personal deity. And Paul tells Timothy, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. And that's 1 Timothy 2.5. Also, we've seen stated earlier, it is to this God that we are to give an account. As Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 3 through 6, he says, For we have spent through our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. Now, that isn't talking about the previous life. We did not pre-exist. He said, when we walked in the lewdness, lusts, and drunkenness, and revelries, and drinking parties, and abominable practice, abominable idolatries, in regards to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead, for this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to the God in the, to God in the Spirit. Now, in the Christian worldview, there is no reincarnation. Okay, reincarnation is a non-negotiable in Hinduism with karma. But there is no reincarnation. Christianity teaches resurrection. Further, Christianity knows nothing about reincarnation. We don't have multiple chances to get it right if we don't do it right in this life. And when we die, we don't come back as an insect or a cow, nor do we become different people. In other words, I was never an Egyptian pharaoh in a previous life, and no one else was either. The writer of Hebrews informs us that as it is appointed for man to die once, after this, the judgment. It, is also, it should also be noted that the body is just as important in the Christian worldview as the soul. Karma teaches that we have been released eventually from this physical world, which would include the physical body. Now, in fact, Scripture does, in fact, teach that when we die, we are absent from the body and we are present with the Lord. And if we are Christians, it says that we are present with the Lord, just to confirm that in 2 Corinthians 5.8. However, it also plainly states that we will not be absent forever from our bodies. They will be resurrected and we will live eternally in a new body that will not die again. That's in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 35 to 58. And we will also do on a new heaven and a new earth. We will do so on, as in, on a new heaven and a new earth. To get a better understanding of what these bodies will be like, we need to look at the resurrection body of Jesus. With the exception of his appearance on the road to Emmaus to some of his followers in which his identity was briefly hidden, he was recognized by those he met after his resurrection. So 
he must have had the same appearance, not a bug, not a cow, not a sheep or a goat, but he must have had the same appearance or they couldn't have recognized him. He wasn't someone else entirely. He was the same Jesus that had been on earth for over 30 years. People could touch him. People ate fish with him. They could interact with him just as they had before when he was on the earth, before his resurrection. He also talked about eating and drinking in this future kingdom, Matthew 26, 29. It was a glorified body he had, but a body nonetheless. Scripture tells us that our bodies will be similar. The Apostle John informs us that he says, Beloved, we are now the children of God, and what we will be has not been yet revealed. We know that when Christ appears, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. Why? Because he tells us, because he is pure. All of this is a far cry from other religions with their seemingly endless cycles of souls going into one body after another and with various identities. So let's talk about this whole thing with the law of the harvest, and I'm, i, I got to move fast here. It is the understanding with the law of the harvest that most people equate the Christian worldview with the law of karma. There is indeed an idea of reaping and sowing in both, but they're not the same. And this is where it ends. The Christian teaching is that God created all things and he has placed it within nature, the spiritual realm, a law that cannot be broken without consequences. That law is the law of the harvest. The Old Testament nation of Israel was an agrarian culture. They lived off the land. They relied on crops for their survival. From the beginning in the book of Genesis, God promised that as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will never cease. And that's according to Genesis 8.22. God placed patterns within nature that allowed for people to harvest what is sown. Now, there are several aspects of this law which need to be emphasized. First is that you reap what you sow. If you sow apples, you don't get pears you get apples. Negatively, if you plant thorns and thistles, that is what you'll get as well. Secondly, you reap more than what you sow. You plant one apple and you will receive multiple apples. Why? Because there's multiple seeds. Thirdly, growing, I mean sowing, sowing, sowing and growing, I guess, you know, that's what usually happens in the Christian walk. Sowing and reaping are proportional. If you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. And if you sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. This is, the, you know, what the biblical worldview teaches. And finally, you reap later than, than you, what you sow. The farmer cannot expect to get a crop a day after he plants the seed, and it takes time and cultivation in order to reap the abundant harvest. There was a comedian not too long ago I was watching, and uh, he was kind of funny. He was in India, and he was with a cab driver, and that cab driver was taking him, and all of a sudden the cab driver stopped because there was a cow walking across the road. 
And then he was talking about a friend that had died. And he says, well, we can't go. We cannot go. We can't run over the cow because that cow might be the guy that died. Now, it's funny in one sense, but it's kind of sad in another. The Apostle Paul tells us that the spiritual life in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 9, he warns. He says, do not be deceived. Be deceived. God cannot be marked. Whatever a man sows, he will reap in return. The one who sows to please his flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. But the one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary in doing well, for in due time he will reap a harvest if we do not give up. The truth is that you, that if you sow lies, deceit, theft, and other things that pertain to the fleshly natures, you will reap the just deserts for the evil that you have sown, either in this life or the one to come. And the same is true for goodness and kindness and generosity. It doesn't happen where if you go and you live a good life and you die as a murder victim, you come back as a murderer as it is with the law of karma. It's an unending cycle. The Christian worldview of time is linear, not cyclical. So that's some things that we need to understand. Now, I could get into the admonitions regarding the law of the harvest. First things that need to be pointed out here is the fact that the Apostle Paul was uh, talking to Christians in the passage. He says, those who uh, don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord can do nothing to please God, for they don't have the Spirit of God living in them. And the Bible does say that there is none that does good no, or seeks after God on their own. All that they do will be sown in the flesh. That's the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. They reap nothing but eternal damnation and separation from God forever. However, with the help of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer, Christians can sow spiritual seeds that will be rewarded. And the other thing we need to remember is that we are not promised all our rewards in this life, the unlike in Hinduism and Buddhism. In fact, we are told that you and I are going to have tribulation, John chapter 16, verse 33. And we have to realize that what we reap always reap later than we, that we always reap later than we, we sow. Doing good will not necessarily bring riches and prosperity in this present age, contrary to what some preachers are telling their churches today. That's in the prosperity gospel. And sometimes bad things happen to believers, and, and at times it seems that unbelievers are better off, even if they are sinning. That is never the case, however. It is by God's grace that their punishment is delayed. Ultimately, Christians can be sure of the rewards of for faithfulness that God has promised us in the life to come. The Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians, he tells the Galatian believers, he says, let us not grow weary in doing well, for in due time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially 
to the family of faith. That's Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. So let me just conclude by saying this. When it's all said and done, it is God who is perfect and the holy judge of all the earth. He will see that righteousness is rewarded and that sin is punishment. When we cite karma as the force that will do these things, we are taking the glory away from the one who alone deserves our fear and our praise. Folks, karma is not real. It is a pagan concept which promotes a form of salvation by works. And if the believer in Jesus Christ, the believer in Jesus Christ would do well to remove it from his or her vocabulary. One reason is that if you're talking to an American Hindu, you might confuse them with the term because they mean something totally different than what you're using the term as. So let us give God the proper place in the universe for in the end, for in the end when it's all said and done, he will not be denied. Thank you for listening to the Let's Get Real podcast. And we were talking about the law of karma. Folks, the law of karma is a dangerous thinking. When you cannot have reincarnation and karma apart from one another, if you are a professing Christian and, and you believe in karma, you also must tag along with it reincarnation. And as I've explained to you, it does not deal with the law of the harvest according to how the Bible teaches reaping and sowing. It reaps into another life, and it totally takes a person away from the true God, who is the one who created them in his image, in his likeness. Again, thank you for listening to the Let's Get Real podcast. We'll be back with you next week with another show. And as you go out this week, if you run into somebody, a professing Christian, help them out by letting them know that karma is not a biblical concept and it should not be in a Christian's vocabulary. At the same time, if you run into a Hindu, listen to their heartbeat, listen to who they are, listen to where they're coming from, ask them questions, and as you do, go out and give them heaven. Lord bless. Bless.